Welcome to Blind Shovel, an arts and music podcast. On this episode, I spoke with Dan Bortz, a good friend of mine, fine artist, and also the owner of Time Change Generator, a clothing brand based out of Cleveland, Ohio. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, dude. Hey, what's up, Michael? How you been? Doing pretty good. Um, how you doing, man? I'm well. I I can't complain at all. Where 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 am I? Where are we? Where are we? We're um, we're in my studio in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. Um. Kind of sitting here painting while I'm talking to you. Yeah, I saw that. You're back on the paintings. Yeah, I've been kind of like always really quietly painting um, and not really focusing on it as my whole career, you know, but kind of always making paintings. And uh, for the last couple of years, like pretty much at the beginning of the pandemic, I started, I had this like week where I started 10 or 15 little paintings and then kind of just haven't finished them and have been tinkering around and starting more and more paintings for like two years. And so I'm slowly finishing one at a time and kind of like thinking about what I want to do with them or Right, there's no particular purpose to them. It's not for a show or anything like that. Yeah, not right now. I mean, it feels really good to do that because I think before I was sort of like floundering for, you know, potential shows or whatever. But um, ever since I've been making clothing, I don't really need to think about it in that way. Although it would be nice to maybe just like shift gears and do that again. But... Yeah, so the, clo- the clothing is financially uh, sustainable. It depends. I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, what people say is it takes like five years to 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 start a business and then actually make money off of it. Yeah. Is that what they say? That's what uh, <laughs> that's what they say. Three to five. I think you should not expect profit in like for like three to five years. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's like little moments where I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm doing really good. And uh it's an illusion. It's an illusion. And then there right. and then it's like I get a little bigger and then I make and then I like invest more and then and then it's it just kind of evens out to the point where it's just like <sighs> never <laughs> never like really profiting, but but definitely sustaining and then getting getting uh like my my abilities to to explore more things is getting bigger the more you know those numbers get bigger where it's like uh my production minimums and stuff are like 
I can meet that more easily. And, um, yeah, I'm just able to like with the, you know, with our process in here, I'm able to like, uh, explore a lot of different things, experiment a lot. And then, um, you know, if we make like long sleeve t-shirts, I'll make like, you know, five, five different prints where I'm fucking around with a lot of different things. And then, um, and then, you know, there's like 10 of each. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, self-employment often amounts to self-improvement, but not a lot of income. That's yeah. kind of what I see is like, and that's why it's great if you're interested in self-improvement. If you're interested in money, I think being employed is a better approach. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I see what you mean where it's like, yeah, you might make that money. It goes right back into the business. You probably see the same profit each year, but your abilities get bigger and bigger. Um, yeah, it's tricky. It's, it's a worthwhile journey that I think is more interested than being a solitary artist. I assume you employ people as well, right? Yeah, I think that's the most rewarding part of what I'm doing is that it actually breaks me out of isolation a bit and makes me like have to work with people. Um, and then, yeah, the more like new stuff I experiment with, I actually have to, I have to like step way outside of my comfort realm down of like, you know, dealing with the only other artists and weirdos. Like I have to do, I have to like, put on my um my i have to put on my like business hat like human flesh my human yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's what most people have to do every day all the time is be a reasonable person totally yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. being like yeah be a reasonable reasonable person which i'm like i'm definitely working on that like um you, know, you always struck me as re fairly pragmatic you know like <laughs> Um, oh, that is so nice to hear. Holy shit. Well, I haven't seen you in a while, so no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. like, no, you didn't, you didn't strike me as a space cadet. Although, like, maybe people might see the work and say this dude's far out. But yeah, you, you seem pretty down to earth as a personality to me. Uh, thank um, you, sir. Hey. Yeah. No problem. Um, working on it. What are you throwing this phone around everywhere? What's going on? Mm. <laughs> Working on a little painting that I'd thrown around, actually. Yeah. Um, do you feel any shame about being more of a practical artist than a fine artist? Um, yeah. By, by practical, I mean like someone who runs a business, someone who creates something that can be used on the daily i.e. clothing yeah uh, like a lot you do feel shame not like real shame but <clears throat> actually yeah i think i entered into a conversation kind of recently with some friends that are all fine artists that are all mm -hmm. like you know some some of them doing like really well in the fine art world um and kind of talking about the, we're sort of just talking about the boundaries of like design and fine art. Um, it was because we were all down at my in, down in Miami for Basel, and it was the discussion of like having work at the Design Miami mm. show 
And like, if that somehow, you know, like changes the narrative of your work or cheapens the narrative of your work, if it's then in that realm of design, but it's not really cheapen is more of an, maybe that's a really negative word to use for it, but it just changes how you can uh, talk about your work when you put it in the realm of design or consumer goods instead of just fine art, which can literally, you can be talking about any issue um, and the piece doesn't have to be like utilitarian in some way. It's not decorative. It's like simply making a piece of art to, to, to talk about an issue or to like conceptualize something. Whereas design is like, there's utility to it. You know, I, I don't know. We, we, Basically, yes. To answer that question, though, I feel like um, I I straddle those two worlds where I'm like, I really miss making art where I'm just making whatever the hell I want to make to talk about like how I'm feeling or to talk about something bigger outside of to talk about something abstract you know, instead of like trying to make clothing that, that speaks to the masses. I mean, well, I don't think you're doing that per se. Yeah, I'm absolutely not doing that. Like, and I'm trying to do that more, but like speaking to the masses is like pretty far outside of my, my wheelhouse. It's like, I can talk to, I can kind of reach like whatever demographic fucks with me. You know, like, and I don't know how much further I can go than that. Yeah, well, what is that demographic? Is it our generation? Uh, Yeah, it seems to be our generation. It seems to just be like other artists. You know? <laughs> That's a horrible market. I know. I know. It's <laughs> like a bunch of people that are like struggling to just make enough money to like have a studio and live yeah, like yeah, yeah. chill life. So I don't know. It's been interesting. I mean, it, it's like growing and changing and I'm always surprised by like who buys my clothing, but I guess my, <clears throat> my target demographic is like other creatives and then, um, also- and then people who want to look like creative people. How about how about that? Yeah, that's the best market, by the way. Yeah. Usually, have a lot of money. That's true. Um, we and, love y'all, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. We really do, for sure. Or it's like <laughs> you're creative in some realm that does not materialize into clothing, so you have to buy clothing from somebody who does do that. Or you like whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't materialize into like something identifiable. So then you're, you're well, yeah. There's certainly a market for. Well, there's a commodification of looking like you make art. That's undeniable in our generation. Yeah. And uh, maybe there always has been that, but it seems to me more prevalent in yeah. respect to like the craft distinction, the design, the fine art distinction. That history is so wild and so long. There's certainly like a class component, there's a luxury aspect to being able to make things that don't have utility. Yeah. There is obviously the liberating component of, uh, you might say, frivolous self-expression that fine art allows for and yeah. non-frivolous. 
Yeah. You know, I found at a certain point that I always thought I was going to be kind of inexhaustibly interested in my own self-expression, but it at a certain stage in my twenties, it just became rather uninteresting. Uh, you were like, Oh, this is just masturbatory. Like um, I need to, I wouldn't say that far, but like how interesting is a, <laughs> you know, like usually a vibrant party or group of people or commu- like small scale communities more interesting than just one individual in respect to what they're going to cook up and, and the different viewpoints, mm-hmm. et cetera. So mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. I'm just a person and I'm not, I'm not like fetishizing community. I, I that word gets thrown around so flippantly. Uh, yeah. and well, it's like, it often doesn't deal with the hard part of community, which is a lot of it. And, uh, but go on, go on. Yeah, no, I mean, that's been kind of my vision with, uh, my whole print studio, um, has been, especially being in a city that kind of needs more, Well, I'm trying to backtrack here and say this differently. I, like, I, I moved here to potentially do something that's not already being done here, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, yeah. Where I could potentially work with artists from all over the world and sort of like introduce them to the scene here or potentially, you know, I thought about running a gallery here at, at a certain point, but. I think yeah, that, don't don't do that. But I yeah, I've quickly <laughs> moved away from that idea. I mean, I've quickly moved I've quickly moved away from a lot of ideas I've had because uh I'm finding that straying away from just straight up being an artist um in itself has just been difficult for me. So it's almost like the more the further I go down the the clothing route and the design route there's been more demand from people who've previously collected my paintings. So I've actually been selling paintings like just out of the studio. Well, there's a synergistic nature to it now. Yeah. Having run a gallery, I'm, I'm also not naive to the fact that like the most commodifiable individual is the one who is easily identifiable as a thing. And by that, I mean, we want to know you're going to keep making paintings when we pay 10 G's for this. In other words, in 10 years, I hope you're still making these because, you know, there's a, there's a lot more value to an artist who makes paintings for 40, 50 years. And that's their career. than an illustrator who picks up a paintbrush and maybe makes a better painting than said painter. But the narrative is not in alignment. You know, it's not about the object per se. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, a lot of other things matter and I completely get it. Having thought about it, having been kind of disappointed by what I thought were trying to sell great paintings by great illustrators, but realizing like, mm, they're, they're kind of in a different game and their, their skin is in a different game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, collectors know that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've always been, um, pretty confused about which category I fall into. I certainly, I certainly have done, I've worn many hats professionally. Um, as far as like design, illustrator, painter, 
you know, I've kind of like hopped around all those things and never jumped too far into one thing or the other. Um, yeah, I understand that completely. Yeah. I mean, some people work in this kind of synergistic <clears throat> multidisciplinary way. Now it's tricky. It's kind of harder to commodify because you got your attention spread out and, yeah. um, yeah. But it also yields some very interesting chimeras that wouldn't normally emerge, you know? So you make clothing like yeah. a printmaker or uh, like an illustrator, right. you know? Right. Uh, and ultimately, I think sometimes we have to sacrifice some aspect of ourselves, some quirk to build a financially viable life. Yeah. Uh, and that's... I have ambivalence about that. That's kind of complicated, but it's also asking a lot to be like, look at me and all my strange weirdness and pay me, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I go back and forth between that because sometimes the weirdest shit that I make, even in the clothing realm, yeah, that, um, yeah, it's, it's sometimes that's what does the best. Um, and where I try to get more normal <laughs> or, or make things that are more just like easily wearable, you know, for like the everyday person who kind of just wants to represent my brand and yeah. maybe, maybe not stand out too much. That stuff doesn't sell as well. So it's been, <clears throat> ah, excuse me, I'm still getting over COVID. So I have a lot of phlegm in my throat, but, um, it's all good. It makes yeah, it better. It's been pretty wild because, um, you know, I wanted to make something that was more uh, involving other makers and kind of like collaborative and turning into like I wanted, you know, I want my clothing brand to turn into more of like a collective studio where we're all making different, you know, we have a bunch of people who who contribute creatively. Um either in Cleveland or like nationally or internationally, just people like designing stuff and mm -hmm. make it and give them a cut. And it's kind of like a, uh, just like a, a nice little thing for creatives to plug into if they want to make clothes. Uh, that was the idea at first, but as I go on, I see that my audience mostly wants like the stuff that I design. Mm, so, <laughs> so it's not like it's not necessarily just selling the name and it's uh yeah it's been complicated and there's been a lot of uh really really hard things to learn and i'm not giving up yet so oh you you plan on giving up some point <laughs> no i mean I have to be kind to myself, you know, it's like, it's been really brutal, like physically and, and stress wise, as far as, you know, like I am not studied in the fashion world whatsoever, or nor am I somebody who, you know, really knows how to run a business. And sure, sure, sure. A lot of those things are kind of far outside of my, like, What's the word? Like, I, like I, uh, natural disposition. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I do not have a natural disposition for like organization or, uh, 
keeping my books or fucking mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah well that's where you like that's the beauty of building a team is you learn well i'm not an accountant so yeah. how you're an accountant and that's just trust and i don't know i actually like that that kind of uh, aspect of building a business where you say mm-hmm. first of all you should never build a business with someone who's too similar to you in terms of skill set and personality because it's just redundant you know so yeah i've made that mistake earlier at times it's like maybe it's easier to get along in some sense for common interest sake but it's building a relationship in the wrong way and it's foregoing the actual difficult parts which <laughs> is you yeah. know you're different and that's the point that you're bringing different skills and strengths. Yeah. You're covering different bases. I mean, I think even that being said, it's like trying to work with people that are all your friends has a lot of, uh, (laughs) a lot of problems. That's tough. You know, I work with family and friends. I like intimacy (laughs) in, in that setting. But, uh, I think, you have to have revealed certain aspects of your personality to them earlier. Like if they know you to be kind of neurotic about certain details or an asshole at times, then, then that comes easier. But if, (laughs) if you've been suppressing some, some key aspects and then they come out in the business version of yourself, this is bad. This is very dangerous. Uh, That's sound. That's some pretty sound advice right there. (laughs) So be more openly an asshole. That would be my suggestion. Yeah, I'm trying to, I mean, it's like <laughs> overall, I think the goal here of what I'm even trying to do in the first place is pretty far from being an asshole. So <laughs> if I have to be an asshole to get it to actually happen, then well, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's like, uh, you can't push somebody to like work as hard as you do. No, no, you, you can't know? expect the same anything. Out of it. You can't, pro- you can't project, you know, any component of yourself onto the world without it kind of whipping back at you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been actually a really humbling reminder for me to like slow the fuck down and and just like be a little more methodical about my approach to stuff. Not that I've quite listen to that i'm starting to listen to it more but you know like i've made a lot of really rash decisions you know with like you kind of have to to keep up with to keep up with clothing it's just clothing is so yeah rapid it's like oh fuck it god damn it it's cold already I gotta have right, right. Like, do you have like, do you have seasons, or or do you have? And that's the thing. Also, seasons. That shit is just out now. It's just kind of like, just with the way that Instagram works and the way that people shop, it's kind of not seasons. It's just all the time stuff. Horrible, all the time. (laughs) And uh, I mean, I think the beauty of it is that you're kind of untethered to like one thing, one thing or the other, and you can sort of just. <clears throat> always be working on everything. Um, so, you know, it's like through making clothing at this point, I've, for the last couple of years, I've, I've been developing a, a catalog of different silhouettes. Like, you so you got the, you got the jargon. If you picked up <laughs> silhouettes, you... <laughs> yep. So I'm you're halfway there now. Yeah. 
I'm halfway to going, actually having gone to school for fashion. Yeah, yeah. I'm just paying. I'm, I'm like paying to just learn through. I'm, I'm just learning through doing basically. And, uh, you know, you design a piece, you make a million samples of it. You think it's good. You put it into production and then, you know, you have like your entire following giving you feedback as to like what works and what doesn't. Um, and it's just infinite. It's like pretty impossible to nail down, but I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'm just complaining. I'm just spending my time complaining right now. It's just right been now. like totally incredible. <laughs> um, no, no, I don't, I don't think you're complaining. Cool. Yeah. It's been, it's been like, uh, giving me a really incredible understanding of the world and, uh, yeah, of the real world. I mean, yeah, not to discredit the unreal world because there's explorations worth undergoing there as well. But yeah, yeah. if you're going to run a business, that's what you're exploring. And totally it is it can only be humbling and when working with physical objects i feel like yeah there's no undo button there's no yeah there's none of that yeah there's infinite waste oh there's so much waste yeah i i actually save every little scrap every scrap from our production runs i save we do these little scrap parties where i invite as many sewers as I can get phone numbers of like people that have a sewing machine and know what they're doing locally. And I say like, you know, come by between like these dates, one to five, whatever. We're just having uh, a collage party with material. And we just, so I, I basically am paying people per square. It's like an 18 inch by 18 inch square. It's a good idea. And we kind of just, you can come and, and get as much done as you want, or you could hang out and talk and drink coffee and like sew two squares. But at the end of the day, we're just sewing and, and making stuff, uh, making these squares out of our scrap. And then uh, I'm taking the scrap and potentially making clothing out of it. We got these throw pillows that we make out of it. Um, nice. It's just super fun. And that's the part of, this practice that has been really rewarding is just like connecting with tons of different people. Um, and even right. if I'm not really profiting, I, I feel like I, I'm, you know, the bigger this thing gets, I'm able to maybe generate income for other people and an outlet creatively that maybe, you know, can spark some something. But, um, yeah. When when you were a child, did you think you would be where you are now? <laughs> uh no, I thought I was gonna be like a kind of like Zach de la Rocha of the of Rage Against Machine. Like I thought I was gonna <laughs> be like like Jonathan Davis, Zach de la Rocha. Okay. Like I thought I was gonna be the front man of a new metal band. Mm. Um with like with like uh crazy like with hair like the static x dude like like straight spiked completely up 
Uh, this is a vivid, vivid vision you had. Yeah, because I spent, like, when I was a kid, I was designing... My favorite thing was designing bands. I would basically design a whole band. So it'd be like, I came up with a name for a band. I drew all the the people in the band, like a, like a video game character, <laughs> you know, with like the stats and like what their favorite food is and shit. How strange. And then I would make, yeah, and then I'd make like, I would make all these designs for the band. And my room was just covered in like these printouts of whatever the band was that week that I was making. And then I had cutouts of different rock rock stars and shit all over my walls. Do you still have these I have pages? Photos. These these fake Actually, you, should make, you should make a run of clothing that's just these fake <laughs> bands. That'd be sick. Yeah, there was a band called Advisory. Of course, that was was it strange. spelled correctly or weird? I think it had a Z. Right, it was banging. But that at that point, you would just go on MS Paint or uh, Microsoft Word, and there was like all that super sick word art that you could play with. Right, so that got you into graffiti. More or less. I don't know. Actually, graffiti came about because I was also super into hip hop um, from the age of like 11. Mm -hmm. Um, And my babysitter, this dude that grew up down the street from me, who was like, I don't know, I think I think he's about eight, not seven or eight years older than me. Uh, Him and some other dudes in the neighborhood were like starting to get into graffiti in the late nineties and skateboarding and stuff. And he was my babysitter. And, um, how did that happen? His little, I was friends with his little brother. His little brother got into graffiti. So we all sort sort of started to like emulate the older kids mm-hmm. and get into graffiti. And that you, was you also of, have an older brother, right? I have an older brother, but he was sort of, he wasn't really involved in that, but he super he got super into hip hop. A little later on, he got really, really into hip hop and was like, for his bar mitzvah, he took his money and bought. Well, you know, when you have a bar mitzvah, everybody donates twenty to a hundred dollars. You have a big bar mitzvah party, which I, you know where I grew up, it was like eighty percent Jewish. Where was that again? Uh, like between Cleveland Heights and Beachwood, Ohio. I didn't um, know there's a lot of Jewish people in Ohio. In in Cleveland specifically, there's like between Cleveland Heights and Beachwood. Um, I think there's <laughs> more Jews per capita, or as many Jews per capita, like as Israel. Interesting. Uh, not not you know not to bring up a super politically charged say a politically charged word in this podcast. You just say, I mean, you just said a place. I just, I just said Israel. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a big deal. I feel like where I'm from in New Jersey, that there's also a high, high density of Jewish people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I thought like Jewish people were everywhere. No. And then, and then it was like, yeah. no, no, actually. I learned that pretty quickly. Like when I moved to California and lived in Oakland, which it's not like there's no Jews in Oakland, but 
I don't know. When I was in art school, it was like, I think me and now there are plenty of Jews at art school, but it's just, I met a lot of people that hadn't known any other. Yeah. I mean, we're talking like community, you know, like pockets, like full on community, but I mean, so your vision, so you've made, have you made clothing for musicians? Yeah, I've, I've actually had a lot of, that's been my mind. That's been my main clientele. I would say it's been like designing album covers, t-shirt graphics, flyers, all sorts of stuff for musicians over the years, be it like locally or way bigger. Um, and so I you're, think- you're damn near living your dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically. Um, you know, it's that clear in the beginning. Like, I, I don't know. It makes sense to me that, you know, you don't make the kind of work or the, or the kind of person where it's going to make sense that like you want to be in a, the museum, like the Guggenheim or something like even though museums want to be cool now, you know, yeah. and like, I, it just, we can't avoid this. Like I like Ninja Turtles and comic books and, you know, like yeah. uh, you go to art school, you study things that might interest you and say, oh, that's cool. But you mistake yeah. in liking something for wanting to be something sometimes. And then you look back at what you actually are stripped of all the pretense of high school and college. And it's like, that's pretty much what you got to work with right yeah. there. You know? Yeah. Come to terms with that slowly, dude. One thing at a time. Yeah. But yeah, I was obsessed with Ninja Turtles growing up. There used to be this uh, Ninja Turtles museum, or the guys who started the illustrators. Yeah, Laird and Eastman. There was this, mu- it was a comic museum in uh, downtown Northampton. Um, or rather just Northampton. It's a little town. Uh, mm-hmm. And... Uh, it was just a super cool building. I think it was like five stories. And I just have this really vivid memory of this one illustration or uh, a small painting on paper of like somebody shaving their legs and cutting their legs and there's blood going down their legs. It's all these like little drip, drip drops. um, That sounds like it. Yeah, I can see that. You like to draw like, like big pieces of hair coming off of legs. Yeah. Yeah. There's also, uh, there's like this gallery there that carried, that had like the whole Dr. Seuss collection or had a collection of Dr. Seuss, like, like sculptural busts and paintings Mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, I forget what his association was with that region, but yeah, Western Massachusetts, super cool place. Really fucking love it there. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, the idea that that's kind of like, I feel like you and me are maybe sort of cut from the same cloth there where it's like, um, a little bit like outside of this fine art realm and there's nothing that you can really do about that. You're just sort of, that's just sort of who you are. Yeah. Of course, what's accepted in museums has changed over time. Um, so like more lowbrow things make it make their way into museums. But yeah, you know, for me, even the accessibility of cartoons and books is what 
kind of stuck with me besides the aesthetic of the thing. Yeah. It seemed to me that it was just cool that anyone could get to it or that you're, you know, you could sell a comic book to your friend who's a comic book artist for five bucks and vice versa. I like that tightness, kind of what you were talking about earlier. Now there's, there's ceilings there. Yeah. And actually it makes me think of how John Frusciante once talked about, cause I, I, I do like the red hot chili peppers. So <laughs> I'm going to put that out there. Um, I can't really front on that. Yeah. Specifically. I like John Frusciante, but wait, which one is he? He's like the guitarist who, who just leaves yeah. the band randomly, then comes back under the bridge. You know, he's like in the he's, oh, that, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he replaced the guy who died, sadly, early on. Yeah. But when he did, he was like a super fan, you know, before he was in the band. Yeah. And then he jumped in when they were becoming famous and kind of made the assessment that shit was going downhill because their audience was changing in the sense that they weren't of the same, I don't know what you would say, like, well, in some sense, they were spectators, not participants. They weren't of the scene. Mm -hmm. You know, they, it, it started to reach that threshold where they were playing to a different crowd, and he despised that. Now, there's certainly limitations to that way of thinking. It can yeah. certainly skew towards elitism. Definitely, um, yeah. I think but I also too. get it. I also completely get it. Yeah, with the, with music, that's strictly age. You know, it's like you might be the the now band, and then True. as time goes on, it's just like. And I think about this with visual art as well, and especially with clothing and just aesthetics in general. That, oh man, I was just thinking about that right now with like Gen X. Gen X stuff. I mean, I'm super into like 90s alternative rock mm -hmm. because I got really into music when I was really young. I think I was like eight or nine, like saving up money to buy a CD, to buy like Smashing Pumpkins um, when I was like a child. But yeah, I was just thinking about certain aesthetics within the art world or not even the art world, like the the lowbrow world or whatever, like Guy Fieri aesthetics that kind of just don't go away somehow. And like, I was just thinking about artists that are sort of in that realm and it's like, they're like still getting work and kind of doing their thing somehow because like their generation supports them. Yeah. And I don't know what's more noble trying to like constantly be up on trends when you're 50 years old as an artist or or accept, accepting that you age and that you shouldn't be cool for the majority of your life. Yeah, to me, I think, to me that's noble. I think back to what we were talking about with like a kind of well, kind of like not being uh, potentially this lowbrow thing taking you out of the world of um, <clears throat> out of the like fine art world. I think that really has to do with not following trends and like not. Uh, I think what would, would kind of separate you from that and maybe, maybe still your work remains sort of interesting outside of this like trend is just like being really true to yourself and like not, yeah, not following any kind of trend. Uh, well, something changed when fashion and art, um, were married. I don't yeah. know the exact period, but fashion is 
by definition what's fashionable yeah and and art (laughs) art art became especially in new york embedded with that la as well and art is very much in that kind of vein now where it is about trend chasing it is about the certain universities giving out mfas knowing what's cool now what's hot now and pipelining that so i don't know more and more i think about it there's something cool about doing your thing and potentially being completely you know just irrelevant in your lifetime and i think that was pretty common in the past now we have social media so it's different but yeah it's it's like showing up to a punk show when you're 50 with tight jeans on if you're you're constantly just chasing these trends even when you're 50 and changing your style to match this or that yeah i think it's kind of weak i think the day comes though for that punk that 50 year old punk in his tight jeans the day will come where some like newcomer some young some young punk kid comes up to him and goes holy shit dude i saw like you're a legend yeah. I saw you in a video of blah, blah, blah from the 70s. You're a legend, dude. And I think that's far cooler than... <laughs> that's like the coolest thing. That I don't think I'm suggesting that there's far more cool things occurring outside of wherever that punk venue is. That this 50-year-old with the hypothetical pants that are too tight should like... Yeah. Like, he, like, there are phases to life, you know, and there is this perpetual child thing that's that's happening to our generation and yeah it's so unfathomable for most people because their lives were riddled with real problems and yeah and real structure and by structure i mean almost a mythological one where it's like you know you are a child then you are a teenager then you're an adult and and that means certain things and each phase felt different and yeah. each phase had different problems and different priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, even even for us, like for me, that's true of my 20s and 30s. My 20s were far more egocentric and interested in self-expression and, and a kind of poetic uh, sense of being lost in California. And then my late 20s and 30s is very different. And I don't, yeah. I don't want this to persist either. I don't want to be... 70 and thinking about the same things or worried about the same things or working on the same things. Yeah. I would like to basically my vision as far as my clothing brand goes is that I can get, or I wouldn't, you know, I have a hard time even calling it a clothing brand because it's really, I want it to be a creative studio, a print studio that, uh, it's like you're buying merch for the studio. You know, if you buy a hat that says time change generator on it, it's like you're buying merchandise to represent the studio. You're not like representing just a clothing brand. It's like it's supposed to be about more than that. So, uh, you know, we put out additions of clothing items, That's sort of how I'm thinking about it. Um, yeah, sometimes it's hard to define things that are a little more unique, but you have to for yeah commercial reasons. I struggle with the fabrication company I work run with my partner. It's like, man, it's really hard to even explain to you and 
in under a minute what we're doing. And that's that's a good and a bad thing. Yeah. Um, the only way I'm able to explain things to 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 people under a minute is uh, using a bunch of language that most people are like, I don't know what the fuck you just said. Basically, like, like, hey, I screen print textile. I, I screen print repeat patterns on textiles. Like, we we print yardage. People are like, what the fuck is yardage? What's a repeat pattern? They're like, oh, all over print clothing, like vape or something. Like, it's pretty difficult to to explain mm-hmm. for the most part. And also, it's it's hard to explain that we're an artist studio and not like a commercial print shop that's for hire. And you know, I I've had some pretty big collaborations recently where uh, galleries or like larger entities will like commission a collaboration with an artist that they work with, you know? Oh, okay. Um, and even within that, I'm just learning how to like communicate every little detail of what we do so that it's like an amicable agreement. And yeah, it's like, I, I, I'm, uh, it's like revealing itself how complicated of a process I have going on here. Like how much is just in my head and I don't have written down on paper, or like clearly explained. Yeah, I completely understand. This is the process of potential calcification that comes with employing people, but also ensuring clients that there won't be mistakes. And in other words, mitigating risk for a client. And totally. so yeah. you suddenly find yourself in this this very dangerous position where you could kind of start assembly lining things or you could, you know, in a very professional sense, just establish order and then leave those creative areas, you know, those looser areas for the creative stuff, you know, in other other words, accounting shouldn't be creative. Um, But, you know, like surely screen, screen printing is a technical, it's almost a science and it's part of how I struggle with screen printing because I've been doing um, pretty crazy stuff in in this basement um, where just like building screens and printing on wood and then curve cutting the inside and like bending the wood. I'll send it to you actually. Crazy. Um, The hell? Yeah. Super fun. Uh Um, Like doing stools. So imagine if you did like an all over print and then you just bent that wood around a form. Sounds super cool. Yeah, but like then, then I'm gonna I'm starting to teach people my system, and my system is insane. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's intimate, right? Like this one time, my car, my Astro van, its door broke, like the <laughs> the way the handle. Yeah, and I and this is the way I I started to realize, wow, and intimacy occurs with objects when they break a lot more than when they work well, because only I could open yeah. the door. Totally, it, it was like this really specific angle and everyone else was like i can't even open this car my entire system of how i print fabric is that it's like the whole fucking thing is like that and then when i have people working for me i think it's been that's been a huge obstacle it's just like people being like oh this could be done like way more efficiently and I'm like, cool, 100%, 100%. cool let, 
let's go, bro. Let's let's do it. Like, get it. Can you can you help me make it more efficient? Cause I my brain doesn't work like that. Can you just like make it more efficient? And then I'll like listen to you and we'll just do it your way. <laughs> but yeah, and like you might lose something there. That's but that's true. that's the trade-off, you know, like it's yeah, only guess, it's only trade-offs. There's no I guess that's where I was heading. What I was saying earlier was that my goal with the whole project is actually that eventually it's sort of run by other people we can get wholesale orders we can you know get collaborate collaborations with other artists um it just i can sort of bow out of the production side of things and focus more on all the creative and the communication between like collaborators and sort of just get more focused on running the company and doing the creative end whereas there's like a whole production team behind me and then i can sort of focus on the things that are in my uh that i have a natural disposition for a little bit more you know so um yeah i understand that it's um it's funny though because the pain and the struggle of the process sometimes binds you more intimately to the thing itself and i wonder i wonder if you reach a certain point of efficiency if you just start daydreaming about being on a beach not doing any of this shit anymore and just building this kind of like you know a cartoonish version of one's company and letting other people run it and then the whole product declines it might even sell more it might even make you more money but then suddenly you lost the thing you actually like doing and uh i'm i'm very aware and of that like yeah that is um probably what happens when you start extracting out the painful parts <laughs> uh, yeah. it's like you know what i mean it depends i guess i would still be right here with the pain i'd be right next to the pain you know mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd like still you know i could feel it from like 20 feet away but maybe not be first in line it's tricky you know i i can i started to understand why people build companies well certain all right some people build companies to sell them right like from day one they're like all right in five to ten years i'm selling this thing and there's no intimacy there's there's no humanity it's just like how do we build an efficiency model and that's cool that's what business people do but what we're trying to do here are i would say are brands of innovation and you can't really step away from that because you are the heart and soul of the thing. And then if you try to hand it off to someone else, it looks completely different because the processes, well, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Cause I feel like, um, within the realm of like, uh, within the realm of like art world association to, a production to a clothing production company or to anything that's like in fashion, let's say, um, you're, you're really like relying on this thing of legend, you know, where it's, what do you mean? What do you mean by legend? Well, I guess what I, how I picture it is like the more my, this entity, which is time change generator, like works with different artists um, associates with different artists and myself being whatever my rep, whatever the fuck I am, you know, like 
it's associated with that. And, and that kind of thing doesn't really wash off. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it doesn't really go away. It's like, I'm trying to think of an example. I think the best example I can think of is, is like, is like Ruka. I'm not, you know, Ruka is a pretty sick brand in a lot of ways. They've like done these collaborations with other artists that are, are legendary artists. And that's like the only reason I really know about Ruka. I don't know. It's like, I have like a, Right, but Ruka is Ruka and time change generator, which I think is the first time we said that phrase, is is mostly you, right? Um, how I understand it, but also because you were saying earlier that that's kind of what people are wanting from it is you. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And I guess what I'm saying is that this thing of legend, like over time, um if it's associated with different things that have like historical relevance and cultural impact, it just becomes like, it represents those things. You can't really wash that off. So it, so it's like, even if it's run by somebody else Mm. and it's sort of like, doesn't have all that pain coming from me going into it, it's still associated with that pain (laughs) and it's still like, has thing of legend to it. That it's like, you know, some kid got inspired when they were really young by the thing they saw from Time Change Generator, maybe. And then like 15, 20 years later, if it's still going, literally just if it's still going, if if you're still doing it, just no matter what the case is, if you're still doing it, that person wants to rep you. I mean, maybe they've grown out of it, maybe this and that and the other, but. Well, there's something tragic about what you're saying because <laughs> legend is a pass oriented a pass oriented word, you know, where it's like it implies that at least in my eyes that the peak was the past, but it persists in a kind of uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's I, like, yeah, yeah, I do. I guess there's I guess artists, I'm... there's even artists, solitary artists in my head who I feel fit this formula. I will refrain from saying their name. Definitely. names um but you see the moment they start one being interested in actual life maybe they have a family two gain financial stability but three reach a commodifiable brand point where they're just like oh i'm just gonna fucking pump this shit out enjoy the other aspects of life and like yeah. you know have a hobby that was once connected to a passion and i don't fault them but i i can sense it and i can say well i don't care about this art you know I need more. I need the suffering and the yeah, like sacrifice in a perverse way, almost like in a sadistic way of like right. Like show me a painting that crushed your whole life. And and it's probably great. Yeah. And, and not a casual hobby, you know, but a well, thing. I think for me that's that's where that energy goes into me just making art. Um yeah. And I think that that's potentially, you know, it's all wrapped up in a package that I have this clothing company, um, this, this other project, but, uh, I guess I'm just envisioning like continuing onward as an artist 
and time change generator is supported by me continuing to do that, but I don't have, it doesn't have to be like fully my art. You know, the only thing I'm doing is running time change generator. So I, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to have more time to do other things, I guess is what I'm saying. And I feel like that that would only me doing other things would only, would only support this other entity that I've built, you know, it'd be like, yeah, I and, completely and, understand. Yeah. I also feel really strongly that within the realm that, you know, within, <clears throat> within art, design, clothing, making, running a gallery, whatever, fucking any, anything in the creative pursuit is, is literally just, um, most people give up like 90% of people give up or, or like lessen their efforts kind of move away from this life, you know? And it's like, it's, it's like people that's really just the, the ones that succeed are the ones that keep going. Even if, even if they were unsuccessful for a really long time, it's like, I mean, I'm sure there's like a lot of tragic examples of this not being true, but yeah, there's probably people who are just bad at art and (laughs) <laughs> yeah not and to shit on just any, keep going yeah not to shit on anyone i mean i'm even if you're even if you're successful it, you also have to define success like for yourself that's like a huge thing i've been working on well, how to how to yeah. define success for myself which is literally i think just the ability to chill Damn, potentially what, that's a crazy definition of success i never even heard that that's my that's my definition of, of success is like being able to chill at all and not be first of all i don't i don't chill so by your definition i don't, I don't think i can succeed but i like that definition you don't it, chill i don't think i can um yeah like i don't and i don't resent that anymore i mean yeah yeah i was just built a certain way and it's got upside and downside for sure yeah. but no. Well, no, it depends no, no. what, I mean, you got to define chill then, but well, I mean, first of all, this is your definition of success. I just like it. Cause it's not what I was expecting, mm-hmm. but, um, the problem with defining your own metric for success is we're, we're squarely individuals. So there is utility to at least allowing the opinion of your most respected peers to inform your definition of success, you know, where there's a collective and trusted definition out there outside of you. Yeah. So that when you falter or you legitimately don't succeed, you can't just turn around and go like, well, you know, by my definition, this piece of uh, shit painting was great (laughs) and I don't want to hear it. (laughs) Well, there's a, there's a good use to like, just having five people you respect and just going like, is this actually a piece of shit? And yeah. And if they think that, if they all think it is, that's the problem. I think. Yeah. But you're just trying to chill. I mean, well, I mean like, (laughs) I mean like take time where you're not working. Yeah. You're talking about play. Yeah. Like play. 
I mean, that's, a, that's I, cool because I, I, I get it. Like, I don't, I don't have a ton of time to play right now. I try to find my moments within my work. And, yeah. uh, but in terms of pure play, uh, my thirties have not been about that. I don't, I don't think thirties yeah. are about that. They're not, you know? especially when people have kids, like that's not what the fuck's going on. Like, yeah, I think it's you like know? you're in your thirties. You've like figured out, this is what it's, it's supposed to be. Like you figured out what your life, like what you're going to work your ass off doing. And then you spend your thirties working your ass off doing. And then it's a sacrifice phase, I would say. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a gathering of the wheat or something. It's like a, yeah, it's not, well, it, it feels like all of my twenties. Like I was having a lot of trouble being taken seriously by the people I wanted to be taken seriously by. And oh, then yeah. like, within the last well i'm i'm 32 so the last couple of years i mean it was like i i almost feel like this was an immediate thing it's like as soon as i was in my 30s i was able to like approach maybe it's internal maybe i'm just projecting this maybe it's like i felt most comfortable but it's just like professionally you're able to get more opportunities the older you get because you actually know what you're talking about yeah like absolutely kind of simply that way do you think that because we're got a lot of people calling in asking this question but you, <laughs> um are you a hippie am i a hippie yeah um i think that like the way that people define hippie and like the things that actually make hippies it's like, I'm, I'm really not a fucking hippie, but like, I don't know. I grew up, I guess when I got into Grateful Dead when I was like really, really young, really? I was like kind of, you know, kind of liked it. Didn't really know enough. It was I was more swept away by like punk, new metal, rap. Um, it's kind of more in that realm, but Grateful Dead always sort of. I think I first heard like, uh, what was the record that my aunts had? I forget. I got, I got nothing. You got nothing. But basically, they, I, you know, I heard Grateful Dead for the first time when I was a really little kid. I remember buying a Grateful Dead sticker, putting it on my skateboard when I was like 11, 10 or 11, maybe younger. But, you know, and then through high school, middle school, high school, I got super, super into that realm, like jammy shit, fish garbage shit, and <laughs> it just got really just fun. complete disrespect. I'm just not in. I just it's just uh, it's I'm just not down anymore. I really, you know, I went and saw fish actually last summer. Yeah, just because I wanted basically because I wanted to go sell clothing in the parking lot and and did you and i wanted to do nitrous because well it's fun but noble goals so i did those things but uh grateful dead the thing is about the grateful dead and being a hippie for me is that i was going through a lot of crazy shit in my life like throughout high school uh, it was just like me and my dad, my mom had a brain aneurysm when I was 15 and she was disabled and she was like in and out of the hospital and she was at home from time to time. And it was like taking care of her. 
And, um, yeah, I was just like doing a lot of psychedelics and different drugs and just kind of, kind of got into that whole world, you know, mm-hmm. of like all that shit. Cause that's just where I grew up. It was like, what, it's just what suburban Jewish kids were into was <laughs> Grateful Dead and Fish. But I got into painting graffiti when I was like, I think I started painting graffiti when I was 11, actually. And uh, I grew up right off of the, tr- like the public transit, the train, the train went right up to my house growing up. So as soon as we were old enough to like, understand that that was the case, we like, we're buying train, we're getting an all day pass for the train and then riding around Cleveland and like, uh, getting plugged into this like graffiti world. Um, so that was kind of my saving grace from the, like, from being a total hippie, I would say, is that I got into graffiti when I was really young and, and, um, well, you're, you're clearly more complex than a (laughs) traditional hippie. You know, like you said, you were into like, you know, very different forms of music than just like the lightness of a hippie thing. But I think our whole generation is like that. I think really at the end of the day, I've always been too neurotic. Like I've been, I haven't, I've never been laid back enough to truly be a fucking hippie. Well, you know, yeah, no, I get you. Like it always, I think every good friend of mine that was a total hippie, I think at a certain point, I just got too irritable. (laughs) Like, just like the literally like the, like this is taking too long, dude. Uh, We can't hang out today. I thought we were going to go to the beach today. Like it's already four o'clock. Why haven't we left yet? Yeah. You like that structure. I need that structure. What about like, um, the drugs, they still important for you. Obviously you sell clothing for nitrous oxide and parking. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, they're not. They're not. Um, I really don't really don't, uh, you know, it's like, I'm, I think I'm too neurotic for, psychedelics regularly you know i what are you you neurotic like um on the daily you mean like you're just kind of um concerned too too high of anxiety and i think since i've moved home and uh started time change generator i haven't really had enough uh like just laid back living to mm-hmm. or i don't know if that's the right way to define it i just have responsibilities so and i also really don't i think at a certain point at a certain point in my like mid-20s i like stopped smoking pot or i think i was 23 when i stopped smoking weed mm-hmm. um because i had a full breakdown just like way too high i was living in oakland my car kept getting broken into i my house got broken into damn they stole everything of importance to me like everything of value of like high value and of you know not of importance just they broke in and they stole everything of value and that was like the second year i lived in oakland and after that point i i didn't really have anything nice you know i didn't have (laughs) you know i had like a old like pc laptop that was my brother's old computer that like was totally fucked 
I just, I rode like whatever shitty bike that I could get for like 50 bucks. Yeah. That's how I lived in Philly for a while. It's just like, it's a tight, it's a weird form of defensiveness where like, well, one, I kind of looked like I was homeless just so I was unrobable. Yeah. Yeah, But yeah, 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 you buy, you buy $50 bikes that barely work instead of buying like, you know, a $200 one and that goes four times longer at least. But yeah, you're, you're on this defensive, uh, kick. I understand. Yeah. I I get what you mean about, you know, when you value being productive, neurosis typically comes with it. And if you, yeah, you know, like as long as you don't produce compulsively with this kind of blindness, I think it's a good thing where at least for me personally, I feel indebted if I'm given a set, set of skills and, um, talents like I owe whatever gave that to me to put it back out uh, tenfold yeah. you know it's like chill. I don't like that idea of wasted talent um, like there's this romanticism about that like I'm so I could be so good at writing songs or paintings <laughs> but I'm just gonna waste away and yeah I think I fuck that yeah I think that I have a I have a hard time with the idea of talent even existing all right all right let's get into it do you yeah i mean blushing toilets on me like this my bad you can edit that i hope (laughs) you can edit that i'm not going i don't edit anything out yeah i uh i i think that the thing about talent is that he's zipping up on me now god it's catching everything all it's all in there Man's got it. I got it. No, no. I mean, the reason I'm going to push back immediately is like, look, there's people who are really good at certain things straight yeah. up from the beginning. And that's just what we call talent. You know, like, do yeah. they succeed? Almost never because they don't have what you spoke to earlier, which is like a drive to prove something or a drive in general because they already got it. Yeah. yeah. I would argue that it's not that talent doesn't exist. It's that it's wildly, the word is wildly, uh, misused and signed incorrectly i think that people will think that they don't have talent or think they have too much talent or whatever the fuck it is but at the end of the day it's actually just like persistence and not to sound all like bootstrappy about it oh go ahead because well i just don't really i mean i really don't fuck with that but i do think that (laughs) (laughs) i really don't fuck with that but i do feel that um I don't know, because I know a lot of people who've come from enormous amounts of privilege and are enormously talented, but they just don't have the self-discipline or the drive to sure. like get what they need out of that, you know? And then it's like everything else in, in your life is like, oh, fuck this, fuck that. It's like, no, nah, man, just, you know, if... <laughs> you know, if you don't want to work a job that sucks and you hate working that job... Like, you know, I hear you like, fuck, that sucks. (laughs) But, I, you know, we all had to do that. Yeah, I mean, look, usually the word talent is used by people who don't have any that want to dismiss people who they think just magically became Mm -hmm. good at something. So, like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, we watch athletes like LeBron James or Michael Jordan, and we we literally like I I even fall prey to this. And I I've watched sports like my whole life, but we think of them as just simply being good not the fact that they've dedicated their whole life and continue to do so well and we're lucky enough to have certain people around them that were like pushing them 
to get better and to focus and then like this support system that maybe well i yeah maybe that's not always that's not applicable all the time but there's always some outside factor that you're lucky to have in your life and i think yeah for me i i always had a natural disposition for like drawing painting uh making and always felt more comfortable by myself making making just making it and so there's that but i also had like um i also was really lucky in the school system i was in when i was a kid they had this like extra or this um what was it it was like in a what do you call it vocational program basically i ended up in i basically wouldn't have graduated from high school if we didn't have this program for visual art that sent me to another school for half the day um, throughout my junior and senior year. Like I would not have graduated from school if I didn't have that. And also like a family that was knowledgeable about the possibility of being an artist, you know, like I had a family that actually thought I could be an art, you know, knew that that was a, a, an option for me. So I would, it's, it's pretty obvious to me that it's always a middle thing, right? Like there's obviously the individual and their environment, but what I would say is it's also seems pretty obvious that a person with a shitty disposition and mentality about life, (laughs) no matter what they're given, will never manifest something worthwhile. But there are these mad, like really impressive people who are given bad environments who because they have the proper disposition overcome that so yeah there is like to me at least a kind of skewing towards uh one's individual will and responsibility in the sense of like you kind of make a million little decisions every day and i think we forget that sometimes like it's pretty shocking to be committed to just like making clothing for a decade like that's a very weird thing uh, because yeah. you could be dedicated to playing video games you'd be dedicated to drinking alcohol you could be like uh <laughs> yeah it's, it's a sacred you have to have a sacred disposition towards what you're doing because there's almost always going to be points in the material world where it's not worth it whether that's money yeah. or whatever like yeah that's what it separates the artists i know i think it's like uh, whether they frame it in spiritual terms or not they have a very weird focus, solitary focus on that thing they want and they'll ruin their lives for it, you know? Yeah, I kind of, I fully agree with that concept. And I don't even know if you can make that, you can't put that on, I don't think. You can't tell a kid like, he, you know, that comes down to what you're willing to sacrifice at the end of the day. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think you can teach totally. that. No, you really can't. And I think also it really just has to do with like, what do you want to spend your time doing? If (laughs) your precious, your precious life force that you'll you'll just die. Yeah. Like you just said, like, you you know, you make a million little decisions a day. Um, and I think it, for me, at least I know that what I really want to be doing is just sitting here painting, like in my studio, make a little food, put on some music, listen to, listen to people talk or listen to interview or like listen to a book on tape and, or like sit here with another person and just make art together and talk. Or you know, I, just, I know exactly what I want to do with my time. 
So there's no, there's no confusion about that. I think that if you have trouble deciding like what you want to spend your time doing in general, like across the board, like, you know, maybe, it sucks. I feel bad for people like that. Yeah. It's know? pretty hard. I mean, I feel, yeah, I, I, that is hard. I feel really, really strongly about how I want to spend my time. I think it's also, that's been a, it's probably been a, an obstacle as well with relationships in my life is that like, you know, it's hard for me to even want to do anything else. Cause I know exactly sure. what the fuck I want to do. And there's a misery in that too, where it's like, Oh, you just, you know, spend all your time fucking making art alone. Eventually you just end up alone making art. So, <laughs> well, like whether it's a blessing or a curse is debatable, but if you look at, the lives of people who don't have a gift that lets them soothe themselves through painful moments in life. I think it's obviously a blessing. Like we may not be able to chill in some sense, but, (laughs) but like, look at the alternative, you know, you just, Mm -hmm. you consume and I don't know, you experience small pleasures and, and you go to work doing God knows what. I mean, people that are happy against all those odds are the most amazing people in the world. Oh, yeah. They're very, very grounding uh, spirits, I would say, when when you meet that kind of person. Yeah, somebody that's, like, content in life. And you're like, fuck, dude, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could do the thing that you do and be content like i'd I'd be very upset i'm just like fuck that's really incredible i think they're less they're less concerned with a certain type of like ego yes uh, residue or something that brings us back to just like surrounding yourself with like artists no it's horrible i don't do it i forsook that a long time ago i just don't i love people who aren't artists so much yeah there's a lot there's a lot of other shit out there but you know we're pretty cool too man (laughs) well look i'm not saying that isn't true but i often use a metaphor of like look if you got like a full meat and potatoes dinner going on here you need a little bit of salt and pepper but you don't need you don't need it like like artists are salt and pepper. I don't need the full meat to be them in my life. You know, I need yeah. everything else, you know, just a, like, like there's this assumption that can start to occur in the little art clicks that like, we're the most interesting people, but then you, you meet truly interesting, strange, uh, what I would say are normal people. And they're really on one because they're not putting it on for some like brand uh, notion. They're just like, they're trying to do the opposite. They're literally actually strange and they're trying to get through life with people thinking they're normal. Oh man. Uh, That has been, that has been the absolute perk. And I'm sure you feel similarly. That's been the absolute beauty of like being in an underdog town, not being in New York or LA or the bay or whatever the fuck like yeah being in a place where your your everyday weirdo is like actually very fucking weird like very very <laughs> weird and and like i don't know i i i go 
there's just a lot of people I have to interact with on a very regular basis that like are, you know, we're just so totally different. And it's like, I'm such an alien walking into their life. It's like when they're trying to wrap their head around what it is I do, uh, there's no way to explain it. So it makes me realize that <laughs> how lucky I am to do what I do. Basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. This is a, you know, a post, a post manufacturing post industrial city. And it has all these leftovers of manufacturing and it also has, I mean, still has manufacturing, but it's like, um, I just find it really rewarding, like plugging in to what there is available to me locally, as far as like, you know, sourcing material or seeing like what kind of production I could do locally and kind of just like walking into random businesses and talking to people who are, I don't know. There's like a canvas menu. There's a canvas goods manufacturing facility, like a couple miles away from my studio that I've gone into a couple times where they make like, uh, like huge canvas goods, like a big dust collection bag that goes on a, (laughs) you know, some kind of machine in a factory somewhere or like the, the, you know, some kind of seat cover, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's just like all sorts of shit here. That's really interesting. And like, most people don't even know it exists. Uh, no, I feel the same way about the cornucopia that is New Jersey in terms of, uh, yeah. just like really idiosyncratic, uh, producers of strange specific objects. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you got a joke for me, a joke. Yeah, tell me one joke. One joke. Dude, I don't have a a joke. Well, you gotta uh, work on that. How do you like not have it, a joke? You mean like an actual joke? Like yeah, a, like yeah. something with something I like to with. end on a joke. Oh, you wanna end? Well, well, look, I think it's fair. We've spoken for an hour and twenty minutes. Yeah. How, how long can people listen? I have no idea. Without a joke. I'm trying to think of like what kind of like actual joke I know that's not from Sopranos <laughs> or well then I will just simply say you gotta find some you gotta get more jokes in your life. You're like dog you really need to lighten up. You're not what's <laughs> going on. Yeah I don't have a joke for you Michael but just please try to collect some jokes. Yeah I'll give it a shot. It's kind of sad. I feel like they're going extinct you know like you, why don't you tell me a joke because you're you're saying that like you have a bank of like actual jokes. You probably nah, but I don't I, I asked the guests for a joke. I am collecting jokes. This is a thing I'm doing right now. Trying to get your joke game up. I well, am. I love jokes. They're like a you know a good time. Might, but I accept that you don't have any jokes. If you had asked me, like, if you had told me, like, and I'm going to need a joke. No, like, no, that's I don't do that. See, that's that's the, the beauty of it. I just I want to see what comes out. You know, I've had some good ones. If you listen to the other episodes, you'll see them. I listen to M. Kettner for a sec because I really, really like their work. Really sick. So and, why'd you listen to it for a sec? Oh, no, I listen to the whole thing. Oh, OK. But then. It, well, I had to like come back to it because 
for some reason the format kept fucking up. Oh yeah, because it's through Google Drive. Yes. Yeah, no, you gotta download it. It's annoying. Yes. But um instead of a joke, maybe I'll just fully explain myself real quick. Okay. Uh I have a textile screen printing facility in Cleveland, Ohio, where I print repeat patterns on fabric and we make clothing out of it locally. Uh and website what's the website website is timechangegenerator.com and um same on instagram instagram at timechangegenerator okay um and uh yeah it's been a pleasure knowing you michael <laughs> sounds like i'm gonna die or something i hope not <laughs> i hope you hang in there bud oh i'm fine i'm not gonna die yeah good talking to you dude we didn't even talk about it's interesting. We didn't even talk about kind of like this thing that happened where basically I was okay. I, I was living in Oakland Mm -hmm. and then we decided me and my, my ex, but still somebody I care about Linnea, uh, we left Oakland to move all of our shit to Cleveland. Um, we moved all of our stuff to Cleveland and we had this vision that, you know, I, my vision was I was going to build time change generator. I didn't have the name yet, but I was like, yeah, yeah. going to build this studio to print repeat patterns on fabric. Um, and then, so we moved all our stuff here and then we were working for another artist uh, my friend Dave, who goes by the name Momo, it's like a wall painter. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we traveled around with Momo and painted murals for like a solid year. He just kept flying us different places. And in the downtime where we didn't have work, we like, I think we went and did a residency in Mexico. We were just kind of like having this really fun year without really like renting anywhere. And then, uh, we were in Oakland doing a mural at Facebook and Canon had this thing. Canon Dill had this thing go, going called a Coco literary salon. Yeah. Lasted like one. Yeah. One that, day. Guy, that guy has the ability to like make the most amazing thing at like a, the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. Like, like he could do, I feel like he could literally do anything he wants that guy and just be <laughs> a total success at it. But he, he had built this whole thing that was going to be like a quarterly. Yeah, it was with uh, what the fuck is that guy's name with the weird Jack name? Bull, I think Jackie Jackie Bull, who's like a really great photographer. Yeah, he. Yeah, yeah, Jackie Bull. He was going to have a, a a show like an event that was a drop for it, and he was going to have every artist that did an interview was going to have like they were going to make a pair of pants, and it was like yeah, yeah, yeah. Cannon went and bleached all these black jeans. He, they had to be black jeans, and then he would bleach them until they were white, so they were specific kind of off-white. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he was like, "We're going to do black, red, and blue sharpie drawings on these jeans." And so I'm going to have all these different artists make a pair of jeans. You can only use these three colors, and then they're going to be at the show. And so I made the pair of pants, and then he totally bailed on it. He was like, we're not doing that. We're not even going to put out the... uh, He's just like, I quit Coco Literary Salon. And then you 
right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Harpy. The same week you were like, hey, we're doing a clothing, one-off clothing show at Harpy. And you, I sent you the jeans and you sold them. And I got a whole bunch of followers and people like commissioning me to make more pairs of them. And that carried me through like, like like the beginning of it right there took me from, it took me from the first pair until like I had built my printing table and totally built my whole studio. It was like, still, Oh wow. That is I, an interesting connection. I was still drawing the pants and like it went to the, you know, I started at one price, like, you know, 300 bucks a pair, which was insane. Yeah. yeah. Just so cheap for how much work I was doing. And then it got, you know, it got to the point where I was making outfits for post Malone. I sold drawings to Nike and Burton and like it just it got like way out of hand i was like well it's like totally took over my life yeah i I did not realize that that was kind of the seed of the whole thing that was well basically i was gonna build the studio and then that whole thing took me into a, a position where i had actual demand for clothing and was able to sell clothing you know because it was like the cheapest thing you could get for me was like 200 300 bucks right right right. i was like i need to start a brand and i started selling hoodies and t-shirts and it just like spiraled out into or it didn't spiral it it turned into what it is now so so yeah that was kind of the seed of all that shit yeah 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 cool all right dude Nice talking to you. Good night. Later. And the beat goes on. Music by Dory Bavarsky and Mingja Chen. Next up, we have Jason Rusnak. Ah!